0: podcast for the biggest storylines results and controversies from the tennis world today is thursday september 1st day four of the 2022 u.s open in the books that means round two of the singles action is complete and from here things get a little bit easier to manage as a tennis fan certainly 16 singles matches sounds like a lot on paper but after four days of 32 plus matches Each and every day feels like moving forward Friday, Saturday, and onwards at this 2022 U.S. Open. We should be able to catch at least 15 minutes of every singles match that unfolds. As such, after today's podcast, we're definitely going to start nerding out on this show, breaking down the breakpoints of the biggest matches, going through the mechanics of each match, and how each player was able to continue to advance in the year's final season. Of course, on today's show, we're still going to look big picture, and I've introduced some segments onto this mini break podcast to try and help organize our breakdown of each and every day of this 2022 US Open. As such, my plan for today's show, run through all of day four's notable results, in particular focus on the best thing I saw today to start the show, and in this instance, that's Arena Sabalenka versus Kaya Kanepi, the number six seed Sabalenka remains a viewing experience unlike any other in professional tennis Sabalenka down a set in 5-1 comes back earns a dramatic three-set victory and advances at this 2022 U.S. Open how she did it I'm still not entirely sure and I went back and watched the biggest stages of that match twice to try and grasp some sort of understanding of what happened, but it was typical Arena Sabalenka. You get 10 minutes of scratch your head, what the hell is happening on court, combined with 15, 20 minutes of excellence, and ultimately, in her second round affair, the excellence one out, and I want to discuss that excellence, try to say that word as many times as frequently in a 30-second span, discuss that excellence here on today's show, of course. I also want to run through the other winners and losers on the day. How about the American men, but the American men next-gen 2.0? Of course, I'm referring to Brandon Nakashima, Jensen Brooksby, who delivered two of our four upsets on the men's side today. Nakashima and Brooksby, both well both straight set definitive victories but the way brooksby Broke down Borna George. It was a double dose of all things Jensen Brooksby. And we really haven't seen him Brooksby it up in almost a year since he won that opening set 6 1 against Novak Djokovic at last year's U.S. Open. But again, it was a double dose of Brooksby today. He threw the kitchen sink at Borna George. George wasn't able to respond. We'll get into the dynamics of that match, talk about how Brandon Nakashima has developed into quite the server. The numbers indicate as much, the results indicate as much. Certainly today he did well not only to keep pace, but perhaps even exceed the efficiency of Grigor Dimitrov on Sir a straight set win over the number 17 seed, third straight time. Nakashima has advanced to at least third round of a major this season we'll get into again those Brooksby Nakashima wins why American tennis fans should be feeling happy not only about the men but how about the women eight American women into the third round of this 2022 U.S. Open singles competition that's tied for the fourth most in the 21st century and we'll get into what years American women thrived in the past on today's show but big picture American women having success that's one of the narratives I want to discuss. We also have to talk about the glass half-empty cases. Generation Soccery, another tough day. Paula Bedosa knocked out of the event. The number four seed taken out by Petra Martic. You had Katarina Alexandrova, another one of those 24 to 27-year-olds knocked out of the event. She wins an opening set bagel only to drop a three-set affair to another one of those American women having success at this year's Open in Lauren Davis. But that's a tough loss for ECAT. And again, big picture. You look for Generation Sakri. They struggled at the Slams this year. And what should have been their year for success from a – career trajectory standpoint from a WTA landscape perspective. Feels like this was a massive year for opportunities for Generation Soccer. He's certainly disappointing to see how they performed at this year's slam. And then another tough head-scratching loss for Hubi Hurkats early in a major. Now certainly you lose to a player the quality of Ilya Ivashka. There's no shame in that defeat, but this was a massive opportunity in what felt like a wide-open U.S. Open for Hoobie Hercats. And Hoobie has been so good at the Hardcourt Masters 1000 events, whether it's Miami, where he's won the title, or Indian Wells. He's made a couple quarterfinals. Paris, I believe, semifinals last year. He's had success at every Hardcourt event except the majors that continue today. And want to explain why, what Ilya Vashka did to break down Hoobie Hercats, why figuring out plan A for Hoobie, is the biggest thing for him in these three out of five set matches moving forward but of course we'll get into the winners the losers break down all of day four's results there were upsets on the women's side upsets on the men's side no men's matches going five sets but plenty of seeds looking the part on the day and the bottom half of the men's draw which competes on the even days of this event The seats have gone relatively unscathed. That's a storyline we probably need to get into on today's show. So all of that scheduled for you listeners. Another jam-packed episode of the Mini Break Podcast. Of course, the reason we're able to do this show day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you. And to any listeners joining us just for this U.S. Open, welcome to our Crack Rackets family. We are so thrilled to have you turning to us for your daily updates on everything that happens in the tennis world. I promise at some point I'm going to have a guest to help me steer the ship. In fact, I was supposed to have a guest here on Thursday night, but things got pushed a little bit late that guest going to reschedule to later in this event but as the event progresses as there are less matches to discuss as it becomes less demanding of me, or I should say I become less demanding of our guest because you bring a guest on for the first four days, we're going to be talking 25 matches to ask someone to watch 25 matches on the day. Again, that's a big ask from me to any prospective guest. That said, as there are fewer matches every day, I feel like that's less of a burden to put on someone's shoulders. So we'll have some guests to make this podcast the discussion we know it can be be. Of course, we also know listeners require a daily podcast to help break down everything that happens in the tennis world day in, day out. We try to provide that here at Crack Rackets, not only during the slams, but all year round. So if you are a new listener, stick around. Why don't you, after this US Open, get in on the daily nerddom of the tennis world like we love to do here at crack rackets that said shout out to our friends at tennis point as well for their continued support of this show go to tennis-point.com for the latest and greatest products use our promo code cr15 to let them know that we sent you there with that said let's get into day four of this 2022 u.s open and again i want to start with the single best thing i saw on the day has to be Arena Sabalenka, the number six seed, 24 years old, remains experience unlike any other. And of course, for Arena Sabalenka here in this 2022 season, the big number for her has been the double faults. You look for Sabalenka coming into this U.S. Open; she had hit 318 double faults on the season. The next closest player in terms of total double faults on the season amongst top 50 players in the women's game. Coco Gauff with 214. So she's hit 104 double faults less than Sabalenka coming into this event. For perspective, the gap between Sabalenka and Gauff is as big as the gap between Gauff and Onjabor, who's hit the 23rd most double faults this season. She's hit 107 overall on the year. Again, first to second is as big as the gap from 2nd to 23rd. You can't give 318 free points away throughout the course of the year. That's going to come back to bite you in the ass, and it certainly has at various points of the season for Arena Sabalenka. That said, a case I have been making over the course of the past few weeks outside of those second serve issues, I actually quietly, and I'm saying this very quietly, think Arena Sabalenka has gotten better At every part of the game this season certainly you look at the numbers they indicate as much now again she's making only 59 percent of her first serves that's a percent below her career average I acknowledge the serve has been a struggle that said she's winning 69 percent of her first serve points which is above her career average when she can land that first serve you know the ace percentage 6.5 percent a top 10 number in the women's game and above her career average as well. That first serve continues to flash the ability to be elite. Of course, the second serve win percentage has plummeted given her double fault percentage, 11.5%. Obviously leads the WTA Tour this season, but her break percentage, 36.5%. That's about a percent above her career average and about 0.3 percent above the average of a top 50 WTA player. She also is putting about 2 percent more of her returns just straight up in play, in the court, getting the point started. and you know again for in arena sepblenka who has always been streaky even in the highs of her season last year where she went 45 and 18 and you know reaches finals in Stuttgart, Madrid, Abu Dhabi and ultimately wins the title in Abu Dhabi and Madrid Even in those highs, she was still inconsistent as a returner, and she flashes the ability to hit return winners at will. Forehand wing, backhand wing, but she's gotten more consistent in landing those returns in the court, and that has been half the battle. That said, again, you look for Sabalenka this season. It's been a roller coaster. Overall, on the year now, Arena Sabalenka, 26-17, and even with her victory today, and you look at her losses on the year. Yeah, a bunch of them have been three set matches. In fact, overall when you look for Arena Sabalenka, she's, you know, of her 17 losses on the season, 10 of them have been in three sets. 21 of her 43 total matches on the year have gone the distance. That's what happens when you give away 300 free points throughout the course of a season. You aren't able to solidify your level and just established rhythm throughout the course of the year now that rhythm has gotten better again after the horribly streaky start to the year Sabalenka is settled uh, steady she reaches a final on the grass court semi-finals in cincinnati you know she's starting to play better tennis and she played a really good first round match against katherine harrison a comfortable 6-1-6-3 victory she only double faulted four times which i know only sounds funny but that was massive progress for arena Sabalenka. that said at the start of today's match against Kanepi, and again, I had to give that preface for Sabalenka, who will eventually be a, an inductee when she wins a slam. I say when, not if. When Arena Sabalenka wins a slam, she will become a member of Arena uh, Serena Williams. Arena Williams. Serena Williams, hey, great shot. Uh, power Tennis Country Club, because that's the sort of transcendent power athleticism she possesses. That said, we got all the sorts of bad streaks for her throughout the early portions of this match. You look in set number one for Sabalenka, four winners against just twelve uh, against. Excuse me, twelve unforced errors. She made just fifty-two percent of her first serves. Was nine of twenty-three on service points in the opening set. You know. Canepi didn't even have to do much. Five winners against six unforced errors, but she won 91% of her first serve points, 10 of 11, and I have to imagine six of those serves were just missed returns off the racket of Arena Sabalenka, and there was no rhythm for Sabalenka early in the match. Nothing to be established, and that lack of rhythm continued into the start of set number two, where again, Arena Sabalenka goes down 5-1 in set number two. She's down a set and 5-1. It feels like the entire match is slipping away from her. And then slowly but surely, Arena Sabalenka... uh, Excuse me, not 5-1, 5-2, but slowly... uh, No, no, no. It was 5-1, Alex. Stick to your guns. But slowly but surely, Arena Sabalenka begins to find her rhythm. You know, she holds at love, 4-5-3. She breaks at 15, 4-5-4. And now, all of the sudden... Arena Sabalenka is back in this match. And, you know, for Sabalenka, all it takes is a second. That's what makes her so polarizing and captivating as a player. Is it takes one little 10 minute run. And because her power is so transcendent, because that first serve can be so dominant, and in the second set, you know, she makes 73% of her first serves when 67% of those first serve points. She made a bunch of first serves from 5-1 down, just started making the high percentage play, was able to play on her front foot, and the sort of easy approach shots where Sabalenka's in rhythm, where she looks so special, and it took her like 10 minutes to go from 5-1 to 5-all in that second set and just level things out. And Credit to Kenepi, who stayed in the match, didn't let it slip away. You know, forces a breaker, has a couple of match points in that second set breaker. Sabalenka comes up with a big serve, comes up with a big return down the center of the court to fight off a couple of those match points. And, you know, for Sabalenka, 10 winners against 18 on four in set number two sounds bad, but it was really the first set in six games. She was awful. And then she woke up, and it was a completely different Arena Sablanca. And then in set number three, she played a measured set of tennis, 14 winners against 11 unforced errors. Had one break point chance, she manages to convert it. Fights off three break points, two of the three with good first serves, and she only made 57% of her first serves in the closing set, but she won 71% of her first serve points She wasn't spraying on the return of serve. She was working her way into just about every Canepi service game. You know, she goes 6 of 8 at the net in that third set. She just was confident, controlled in command, opening up the court extraordinarily well, hitting the three-quarters ball that so frequently she just refuses to hit, and that's part of the reason why she's so streaky. But again, I thought Sabalenka looked she was two completely different players throughout the course of this match. And how many times have we seen Arena Sabalenka lose this exact match at the slams, whether it be, you know, the three sets to Georgie at Roland Garros this year, whether it be the three sets to Kanepi in Australia earlier this season, whether it be, you know, last year, three sets against Fernandez, three sets against Pliskova, three sets against Pavlachenkova, you know, three sets against Serena in Australia. Sabalenka's lost a lot of three-set matches at the slams. I just mentioned it. What, her, 6 of her last 7 losses or her last 6 losses at the slams have all been in three sets. She gets through in three sets in this match. And now the draw opens up for Sabalenka because again, Elena Rybakina's her who was the seed in her immediate section has already been knocked out of the event. So she gets former world junior number 1 but 21-year-old Clara Burel who does not have the late slam experience that Sabalenka does, will not be accustomed to the power tennis Sabalenka is able to play. The draw is open for Arena Sabalenka. After that would be the winner of Alize Cornet and Danielle Collins. Now, Cornet would make life miserable because she puts a million balls in play, but that matches on Sabalenka's racket. Similarly, while Collins has won two straight set matches, who has had better form since Australia this year. Even with the ups and downs, you probably take the season of Sabalenka over Collins since Collins made that Australian Open final. I mean, Rita Sabalenka should make the quarterfinals of this 2022 U.S. Open. And once she's in the quarterfinals, I mean, you look at that top half, Martic, Azarenka, Pliskova, Benchic, those are all good players. Those are all beatable players. And that's why Sabalenka on my short list of the six players I think can win this event still. I would have Iga, Sabalenka, Caroline Garcia, Bianca Andrescu, Coco Goff, Madison Keys. Those, and and Jabeur probably belongs on that list as well, given her consistency. I think that's the list of players. I wouldn't take Pagula simply because Pagula has to play Iga in the quarterfinals, and that's always just been such a tough matchup for Pagula because she can't create pace at an elite level easily, and she is a respond and absorb and redirect sort of player, and you just can't do that against Iga. You have to be able to inflict some damage and assert yourself from the start That said, Iga's got to get through Junction Wen, a Pagula, and then a Sabalenka just to get to the finals. It's a tough path for Iga. She's got some tough sledding rounds, four quarterfinals, semifinals, and Sabalenka would get her at the end of that run. I mean, look, 11 double faults for Sabalenka. On paper, that doesn't sound great. It's like half her season average. She's been hitting that 20 mark, and again, to even give away seven fewer free points than usual... It makes a difference in a 6-4 in the third match. So credit to Iga Shvianta, uh Excuse me, Arena Sabalenka, who again 2-6, 7-6, 6-4, 6-2, 5-1 down. She comes back, reaches the third round at the U.S. Open. And look, Kaya Kanepi's had a great season. I think for Kaya Kanepi, the oldest player in the top 100, she's going to end this year no lower than number 40. She's currently number 31 in the live rankings. I mean, she gets to set her schedule. That's why you continue to play because you're playing all the slams, you're playing all the big events. You get to travel to the biggest cities and all the accommodations are at their best. Shout out to uh, Kaya Konopé, but who's had a great year. But again, credit to Arena Sablanka, who's quietly tenth in the points race. And yes, she has semifinal points to defend. But you know, by making the third round, she at least holds on to that nine spot in the top ten rankings. I mean, given outside of Ego, we don't know what the rest of the field's going to look like the next decade. Does Sabalenka have as high of an upside as anyone on the WTA Tour right now? In my opinion, absolutely. And so Arena Sabalenka winning from six two five one down in the erratic fashion that she does, the winner she's able to produce, the on-the-run athleticism and power she's able to generate. Best thing I saw on day number four of the U.S. Open. But with that said, let's transition. Who won? Who lost the day? What are the storylines we should take away from this final day of second-round play? Hey, great shot on the rhyme. Let's start with the American men, Next Gen 2.0, because they were responsible for two of the biggest upsets we saw on the day. And a reminder, coming into day four, this bottom half of the draw, there were no seeds upset in round number one in the bottom half of the draw. That's the first time that's happened at a slam this season in round one where an entire half goes unscathed in a single day as such you knew the dam was gonna break at some point, and for it to be two young Americans and not the Fritz Paul Opelka gener- Tiafo generation, which have really all established themselves as seeds at these slams moving forward and you know, Opelka doesn't play, Fritz gets knocked out by Brandon Holt, obviously in the opener, but Tiafo Paul, holding seed both into round number three of this twenty twenty two US Open, that they're gonna be joined By not Sebi Korda, who of course Tommy Paul knocked out in five sets yesterday, but by Brandon Nakashima and Jensen Brooksby, again, speaks to the emerging depth we see in American men's tennis. And let's start with Brooksby who was the hottest thing since sliced bread during the 2021 season. I mean, Brooksby's rise last year, not only was it precipitous, it was borderline unprecedented. He goes 49-12, and winning 80% of his matches on the year. Obviously starts out on fire, winning a couple of challengers, making a couple other challenger finals. He then goes qualifies for Roland Garros and, you know, finals Newport. Semifinal City Open takes a 6 1 opening set over Djokovic in the fourth round of last year's U.S. Open. And by the way, beat Fritz and Karatsev on that way to that fourth round before semifinaling Antwerp at the end of the year. Again, 49 and 12 at age 20 years old, going from outside the top 200 to inside the top 50. That only happens to special talents. On in professional tennis and on the ATP tour, that said, it was always going to be a dose of reality for Jensen Brooksby this season. It was just always going to be impossible for him to duplicate that level of success because, with all due respect, only Djokovic, Rafa, Federer, and Murray – win 80% of their matches in consecutive years over the course of the past 15 seasons. Yeah, you know, again, the Zverevs and Medvedevs and Ferrers and Wawrinkas of the world, they'll flirt with 80% for a single season, but to do it over a two-year stretch, over a five-year stretch, if you do that, you're one of the three best players in professional tennis. And Jensen Brooksby's not quite there yet. You know, again, 24 and 17 now overall on this season. He struggled at different points of this year. You look for him in first round matches at events, which, of course, again, a wise coach once said you can't win the tournament on the first match. You can certainly lose it. Last year, Jensen Brooksby goes 12 and 3 in first matches overall in the season. This year, he's 10 and 8. He struggled at various times of this year. And you look at who some of those first-round losses are, too. Certainly the three-set, four-hour, till 4 a.m. marathon against Alex Zverev in Acapulco. That's one of the more memorable matches, first round of the season. No shame in that. No shame in a first-round loss to Tommy Paul in Cincinnati. Tommy's been that good of late. But, you know, losses to Cuevas on clay, Krayinovich on grass courts, Nishioka at the City Open— Certainly some tough ones for Jensen Brooksby throughout the course of this year. And again, Jensen's been, Jensen's been pretty good against the players he's supposed to beat, 14-6 and six against players ranked outside the top 50, but 10-11 against top 50 opponents, 3-6 and six against the top 20. And the big thing for him this season is better opponents with elite weapons, elite returners has sort of figured out his serve. You know, again, against opponents ranked outside the top 50, Jensen Brooksby holds 80% of the time. Against opponents ranked inside the top 20, Jensen Brooksby holds 66.7% of the time. So that 80% number would rank about 32nd amongst top 50 players. 66.7 would rank last amongst top 50 players. And I know it's against elite competition, but he's only holding 74.8% of the time against top 50 players. Again, that number ranks 39th amongst the top 50. less than ideal if you're Jensen Brooksby. That said, you know, again, the break percentage has held up. He's still a top 20 returner on the ATP Tour. He's breaking serve 26.7% of the time this season. That number actually ranks 17th amongst top 50 players. The return skills are real, the backhand is real how solid he is off both wings. That's not going anywhere. The fact that he's always going to play high percentage tennis. He's never going to quit on a point. All these intangible things that make Brooks be such a special prospect. They have all continued into this season. The big thing is, much like emirat Kanu on the women's side, his serve has been exposed by elite competition. And that was always going to happen to any young player. Today against Borna Cioric, it did not happen. This was the first time I would argue since last season, or maybe that Zverev match in Acapulco, where Brooksby really brook it up. And what I mean by that is all the slices, all the he just gets his hands on the racket, yet so, uh, on the ball, yet somehow that ball ends up two feet inside the baseline, and just he tracks down that extra shot. He anticipates where you're going with your approach shot, and he hits the lob over your head. Jensen Brooksby did all of those things, and it drove Boruch. Absolutely nuts today. And for Brooksby, a 6-4, 7-6, 6-1 victory over the number 25 seed and Cincinnati champ, one of the darling picks by many to make a deep run at this U.S. Open. Brooksby, Brooksby did it up. And, you know, again, first set, 6-4 set, 2 Jensen, Brooksby. You look overall in the course of the match, Borna George only able to break serve once. That break, I believe, came in set number 2. Brooksby fought off 14 of 15 break points in this match. And he fought off seven set points in the second set. And it was how he fought off those seven set points, whether it was, you know, 15-40 down in his 5-6 service game. You know, Chorch has two opportunities to approach the net. On the second one, he hits, you know, he hits a short angle cross-court forehand that has Brooksby on the complete stretch. Brooksby just gets his racket on it, flicks it cross-court. Chorch down the line forehand approach. Of course, Brooksby is there covering that ball. And hits a perfect backhand lob over the head of Borna Chorch. Again, down set points, he hits that backhand lob. It drops beautifully onto the court. And then in the breaker, whether it was, you know, again, George having another plus one opportunity, Brooksby passes him down the line. George getting a little bit tentative, Brooksby making the most of that opportunity, hitting that slingshot forehand down the line, which the Brooksby forehand has slowly turned into a weapon. There's a little bit more pace, a little bit more action, a little bit more depth on that ball than there was last season. The backhand has always flashed the ability. It's going to be a plus ground stroke, how solid he is off of that wing, his ability to generate pace, depth down the line, cross court. The backhand's never been the question, as ugly as the slice is. But that forehand is something because you never know where Jensen Brooksby's going to go with it. And again, it's just a slingshot off of his racket. And he had born a torch in fits. Again, Brooksby, 31 winners against 34 unforced errors today. Pretty darn good against a guy as physical as Chorich. Chorich, 41 winners, 67 unforced errors on the day. And, you know, 16 of 34 was born a Chorich at the net because he started just forcing his way forward saying, all right, this kid can't keep coming up with these miraculous passes. And, Every time Jensen Brooksby, at the very least, just lands that pass at the feet or low on the body of Borna Church, forcing a tough volley. And folks, every tennis coach will preach this to you. Jensen Brooksby epitomizes it. Just put that first passing shot in play. Force your opponent to make the volley do something special because the majority of opponents particularly at us podcast listeners level they're not going to put the volley away and then you get a second shot perhaps at a more advantageous pass and Jensen Brooksby's two pass shot passing shot combinations are just special again it was just a stark reminder of what this kid is all about and for brooksby 24 and 17 to lose the Newport City Open points obviously he has to defend fourth round points here at this US Open he fell down the rankings but by making the third round, keeps himself in play. He's at number 50 in the live rankings. And one more victory for Brooksby. He's back into the top 40 uh, as well. So, you know, Jensen Brooksby has put himself in a position to succeed. And by knocking out the seed now, Jensen Brooksby. Actually, going into the third round, I suppose there are so many seeds still left. How about this? Brooksby going to take on Carlos Alcaraz. And by the way, we get two next-gen 2.0 rivalries in the third round of the U.S. Open, because Brooks B. Alcaraz is one, and to watch him handle the pace of Alcaraz, how he schemes around the Carlos Alcaraz game style, I'm fascinated for that chess match. But then the other half of this American men next-gen 2.0 conversation is Brandon Nakashima, who's going to take on Yannick Sinner. Boy, isn't that a fun one as well. But you look for Nakashima, 7'6", 7'5", 6'3", he knocks out Grigor Dimitrov. Isn't broken, throughout the course of the match and faced three break points in set number 1 Dimitrov didn't face any break points in that opening set they go to a breaker and then it's Brandon who doesn't flinch in the breaker 5-6 he's or he's up 6-5 in that breaker Dimitrov double faults the set away to Nakashima and you look for Brandon all match long 12 aces against no double faults Wins 56 of 70 first serve points, 80% conversion rate, 20 of 33 on second serves, 9 of 13 at the net, 32 winners against 27 unforced errors. He was just extraordinarily efficient today. And in particular, the vigor with which he hits his plus one forehand now, inside out, inside in, he's turned that into a weapon. And if you watch Brandon in college back 2019, Virginia, or as he was ascending up the challenger levels 2019 and late 2020 when play resumed, Brandon was a guy who looked like he knew when to move forward, but he was not a good volleyer. And yet he continued to force himself forward in those early years. And that mindset, that plus one aggression, that idea of looking for your shot whenever that opportunity creates itself, it has materialized into this version of Brandon Nakashima, who is a comfortable volleyer, who knows where to go, what to do with his first volley, and more often than not, is going to make it with success. You know, Brandon was so good with the plus one, in particular, the plus one inside-in forehand, keeping Dimitrov honest and not allowing him to cheat, but cheat over and create with his forehand on the ad side of the court, which is, of course, what Grigor Dimitrov wants to do to protect his one-handed backhand. Nakashima didn't let him do that, and Brandon just put a ton of returns in play, and even though he only won two of his own 10-break point chances, he only needed the two breaks of serve. He was that in command on his first serve, and you look for Brandon, who, again, into the third round of a slam for the third consecutive slam, he reached third-round Roland Garros, fourth-round Wimbledon. Nakashima's held 84% of the time this season. Amongst top 50 players, that number would rank uh excuse looking at it now that number would rank 18th you know again he would be a top 25 server and watching him at the challenger level I don't know that's something you would have projected I think everyone sees the backhand how steady he is off of both wings how steady he is from the ground uh in terms of within a baseline rally and think okay this is a guy who should have plenty of success returning serve but that first serve has developed into a weapon and how he follows that first serve, the efficiency of his plus one choices, his willingness to move forward when the opportunity presents. Brandon's floor is extraordinarily high. I'm not sure what that ceiling is because does he have any elite weapons other than his physicality? And he's turned into quite the athlete. He's strong, is Brandon Nakashima for a guy who's you know six foot, six one max. Does he have the elite power of a Seppi Corda? No. Is it as... Intangibly strange and therefore excellent, as Jensen Brooksby. No, Brandon Nakashima is a little bit more cookie cutter. We've seen Brandon Nakashimas before, but that guy's going to be top fifty for the next decade because again, he's just so solid across surfaces. There is no vulnerability. It's in the Cam Nori model of just high percentage across the board. So lots of love about Brandon Nakashima's game, and Brandon had fallen down to number 69 in the rankings because he didn't get points for his fourth round appearance at Wimbledon, but with this win, Brandon now back up to number 67 in the live rankings, and with one more victory, Brandon will be all the way back up to number 54, and he belongs in the top 50. He shouldn't have to play qualifying at Masters events anymore. I think he's that good across surfaces, across the board, and his ATP results, as we've documented throughout the course of this season... You look for him on the clay, not only did he make third round uh, Roland Garros, but, you know, again, he went and played Barcelona, won a match there, went and played Rome, Madrid qualifying, qualified in Rome, actually. He went the hard route because he wanted to test himself on a surface that he's uncomfortable with, and I thought it paid dividends for him this season. And so, again, Nakashima, Brooksby, Corda. All in my opinion, top 50 players already. And Corda's number 49 in the rankings. Brooksby right now number 50. You've got Opelka at 38. Tiafo at 31. Tommy Paul, new career high 26. Taylor Fritz at number 11. That's five guys right there who are just going to be around for the next decade, and that doesn't even include young players like Emilio Nava, who obviously had a really good run at this slam, or, you know, the Ethan Quinns of the world who are rising up the rankings. Ben Shelton, obviously, the hottest thing since sliced bread. It's a lot of talent, a lot of depth in this young five at Always needs to be shouted out in this young class of American men's tennis players, and so if you're a fan of American tennis, I think this is something all of us should start getting excited about. And again, primetime matchups: Nakashima versus Sinner, Alcaraz versus Brooksby. You know we'll be locked into those when they happen on day six. With that said, let's move over. Glass half full. Uh, We, excuse me, glass half empty. See, it's not an instinct I'm used to here at Crack Rackets, but we'll go glass half empty for a moment and talk about Generation Soccer once again on the women's side. Those players aged twenty-four to twenty-seven who just have struggled uh in the course of this season, had plenty of opportunities to sort of separate themselves. And, you know, we saw last year's Soccery French Open semifinalist probably should have beaten Krachikova, who of course goes on to win the title, and she's twenty-six years old. You've got Contave, her end-of-year run, she's twenty-six years old. You've got players like Benchich and I I suppose Osaka belongs in this conversation. Kasakina and, you know, the Kudermatovas of the world, they've struggled throughout the course of this 2022 U.S. Open. You look for Kantave, who's the number two seed. She's out in round two. Sakari out in round two. Kasakina, Ostapenko out in round one. Krachikova out in round two. You can add Paula Bedosa to the list of Generation Sakari players. Eliminated Bedosa out in round number two as she's eliminated In three sets by Petra Martic. Look, no discredit to Petra Martich, who has had a really solid season. You look for Martich, who, you know, 10 aces against three double faults on the match, 35 winners against 19 unforced errors. She was 23 of 38 against Bedosa, and particularly in sets number two and three, where she was, you know, five of nine in set two, 10 of 12 in set three. She just kept pressing forward, could tell Bedosa was hurting physically, was forcing Bedosa to come up with magic to hit that on the run, passing shot which is such a difficult shot to pass no matter uh, to execute no matter how good you are at it you never want to be the one on the run having to come up with magic Bedosa wasn't able to do it in sets number two and three Martich continued to pressure her as she should have and again for Petra Martich who wins the title in Lausanne following Wimbledon to Warsaw and you know Played a pretty good match against Caroline Garcia, I thought, in Cincinnati, despite losing in three sets. You look for Martic now overall on the year. She's 30 and 17 this season, winning 64% of her matches, second best in her career. She's holding serve 72.4% of the time. That's a top 25 number on the WTA Tour and a percent above her career average. You know, she's asserting herself behind that first serve, and she did that today. She, You know, you look for her in the match, she wins 78% of her first serve points, 65% of her second serve points. Petra Martic was not broken today. Paula Bedosa, 0 of 6 on breakpoint chances. I mean, for Bedosa, I believe made fourth round in Australia, maybe fourth round Roland Garros, but no quarterfinals for Bedosa at the majors this year. No quarterfinals for Conteve at the majors this year. Kasakina, despite all the non-major success, yes, she makes the quarterfinal at the French Open, but that's her only big run at the majors. Ostapenko wins in the Middle East. She kind of flops out of all of the majors this season. And, you know, Bencic is into the third round. Sablanka is into the third round. Keys is still alive as well. Kudermatova's actually played great and is still alive in this event, but... That it's just Sabalenka, Benchich, Keys, and Kudermatova still competing amongst this generation. soccer that all of those other players have already been eliminated, and some of you may uh, may quibble, quabble, whatever it is, with my. Definition of generation soccer, ages twenty-four to twenty-seven. But that's traditionally when you are in or ascending towards your prime. And I would give players like Fernandez, Radakanu Goff, Chin Wen, who are obviously still teenagers, more leeway. And you know, even Iga, twenty-one years old, uh, she gets a little bit more slack because she's still so early in her career. But like the Osakas of the world, and and all of these other players, Contave, Sakuries, isn't this? their window when, you know, again, Serena Williams is not the transcendent force she once was. And all these young talents, as talented as they are, are still extraordinarily young and inexperienced. You would have thought, you know, more than, and Onjabur is a little bit older, but a year older, but she probably belongs in this conversation. She's made a Wimbledon final this year, you know, so she has at least executed when the opportunity presents itself. But like, again, Generation soccer, Rabakina wins a slam this year. You know, Barty would be in this generation, and they probably lost their best player, probably. They did lose their best player with Barty's retirement, and she did win the Australian Open. So I suppose that disclaimer should be included. But man, the rest of this generation, there are a lot of good players. I don't know if any of them are great. And that's a big-picture t- discussion we've had all year long and something we'll continue to expand on through the le- rest of this season. But tough run for Generation Soccery, Tough run for last year's U.S. Open semifinalist as well. You look, only Sabalenka remains. Radakanu out in round number one. Sakari out in round two. Fernandez out in round two. Sabalenka nearly out in round number two. She barely survives, uh, again, in three sets. And, you know, you look on the... The men's side, uh, all but one, have been knocked out as well. Now, Zverev didn't play this year. Djokovic didn't play this year. Felix out in round two, though. Only Medvedev's around in round number three. And, of course, he'll take on E. Wu tomorrow. So, tough for Generation Sakharie. Tough for last year's finalists as well. Tough for Hubi Hercats, who I think unequivocally, unfortunately, has to be on the list of players who came up a little bit short and – I mean, look for Hubi, We knew he was uh, three and six in second rounds of slams in his career. Even going into this matchup against Ilya Ivashka, but just given no Djokovic in this year's uh, slam, and you know, Tsitsipas knocked out early of his, uh, and you know, just all the openings that felt like were right there for Hubie Hercats to take to see be knocked out in the fashion that he was today. Four sets against Ilya Ivashka where, look, uh, Ilya Ivashka was just the better player in today's match. Ivashka, a 6-4, 4-6, 7-6, 6-3 victory. Hubi struggled uh, to do much beyond the first serve and serve in volley and plus one tennis. And for forty one hit 41 winners, won 81% of his first serve points, 16 of 23 at the net. He had 59 unforced errors, though. And, you know, one—I say just 52% of his second serve points, but he really struggled to create from neutral once again. And for Hubie, when the first serve is the table setter, when he's landing that first serve, he looks elite. And there's a reason Hubie Hercats, even in four sets today, was only broken three times. And Hubie Hercats is holding 90% of the time. That's fourth best on the ATP tour this season. When that first serve lands— The depth, placement, and variety of his approach shots, forehand or backhand wing, how competent he is at the net. He's elite as an aggressor on the ATP tour. His skills moving forward are unquestioned the problem is when things are at neutral at the baseline he's you know he's he's really good moving forward he's actually for someone his size 6 foot 6 extraordinarily fluid and will always make that extra ball in the rally he's plenty comfortable hitting the forehand on the run squash shot slice that just kind of gets things back to neutral he's very fluid running in and out of the backhand corner and the depth he's able to produce on that shot his backhand's actually it's easier for him to generate pace on but that rally ball forehand's a struggle for him, particularly when he's facing someone like Ilya Ivashka, who's generating as much consistent depth on his ground strokes and pace on those ground strokes as he is. That ball is just getting into the body of Herkotz, and so Herkotz is popping up his ground strokes, leaving them short and making them quite attackable for Ivashka, and that's what Ivashka did. And you know, three-all first set or three-two first set for Hubi, Hubie had a breakpoint chance in that op- in that service game of Ivashka, and it was a good serve by Ivashka to set up the point for himself, but Hubie kind of floated at neutral on that breakpoint chance. And then that by after letting that breakpoint go, very next game, you know, Ivashka connects on a couple of returns, hits a return right on the baseline into the Hubie forehand. Hubie pops that forehand up. Ivashka an inside-in forehand winner. Now Ivashka's up 4-3. And again, with Hubie's struggles generating from the baseline, the struggle's on the forehand return. He popped that ball up a lot for Ivashka to attack. He just was at neutral too often in this match. And you can't be neutral against Ilya Ivashka because if you do with the the pace and the heaviness of his ground strokes, he's just going to pop you. And so for Hubi, It's got to be disappointing. Again, you look at the Masters results for him this year. Finals Canada, semifinals Miami, round of 16 Indian Wells. Of course, you look for him last season. He wins Miami, quarterfinals Indian Wells, semifinals Paris, quarterfinals Canada, round of 16 Cincinnati, and yet his last four hardcourt slams. First round loss Australia last year. Second round loss, U.S. Open last year to Emer and Seppi, respectively. Second round loss to Manorino this year, Australia. Second round loss to Avashka in New York. It's got to be better than that for Hubie Hercats, who with his master's results will continue to be a top 20 player, deservedly so. And you look for Hubie still, even in the live rankings right now, Hercats sitting at number nine, which is a new career high. He's also ninth in the points race. But this was an opportunity to really pad his stats and create some separation between he and 10th place Taylor Fritz, who he currently leads by 160 points. You know, again, the guys beneath him, Nori, Pablo Carreño Busta, Baratini sinner. They're all still alive. They're all still very much on the chase. And they could all very much catch Hubi Hercots with you know two more victories at this U.S. Open. So this was a missed opportunity for Hubi. No doubt about that. Credit to Ilya Ivashka, who you know was a top 20 club guy last year, was dominating at the 250s. And you look for him last season. Obviously, that title in Winston-Salem, his first at the ATP level uh, for Ivashka now by reaching the third round here at this. Uh, US Open. He's back up to number 71 in the live rankings. You look for Ilya Ivashka now at the slams in his career. Obviously, third round for him here uh, at this US Open. His first third round of the season. Just his third, third round of a major of his career. But those three third rounds have all come in the last six slams. So again, 27, 28 years old now is Ilya Ivashka playing the best tennis of his career. And those ground strokes can be weapons when he's given time to assert himself. That said, tough run for Hubi Hurkats, who I do think unequivocally has to be one of our losers of the day. Now, we'll end before we go through the rest of our results with one more winner on the day. American women who are flying under the radar. We talk a lot about the rise of the American men. There are eight American women in the third round of this 2022 U.S. Open Women's Singles competition. And I talked yesterday about the five on the bottom half. Pagula, uh, Lauren Davis, and Danielle Collins all joining them today on the top half of the draw. That eight number is the second most since 2010 and the fourth most of the 21st century. And you look at the seasons it's competing with. So the most of the 21st century, 11 courtesy of the 2020 U.S. Open. That 2020 U.S. Open obviously was the first COVID Open. And, you know, a lot of players didn't play that event. As such, there were more Americans in the draw. You throw that one out. The other years, though, 2000, 2001, 2002, when there were 10-plus Americans, which is more than the eight this season, but there were 10 Americans in 2001 and 2002. You know those are the Serena years, Venus years, Davenport, and Amy Frazier, and just all these different names. Where the depth in American women's tennis was unprecedented and unmatched. And right now, again, you look at the eight American women remaining. Pagula's got a tough because she's in Iga's quarter. I think Goff versus Keys tomorrow is a title contender sort of bout in round number three. I think the winner of that can absolutely advance out of the bottom half of the draw. Shelby Rogers is my pick to beat Jabeur tomorrow, and we've seen Shelby do it at the U.S. Open before. She's beaten Ashley Barty here. Her weapons, she's just a wild card in the draw. Lauren Davis, obviously a little bit tough. We just don't know how healthy Danielle Collins is at this point of the event, but again, you know, you know Goff, Keys, uh, all legitimate. Th- Golf Keys, Pagula, I would say, are all in that top six contender conversation. Shout out to Ali Risk, still alive in this event, and then of course hanging over all of it is the run of Serena Williams, who's still in round number three of this tournament. So. We talk about the Paul, Korda, et cetera generation, but for the American women right now, we know we're going to have golf for the next decade. You know, Pagula, Collins, Keys, all players smack dab in their primes right now. And those primes we know are that of top 10. And in the case of Keys and Collins, they've made Grand Slam finals. In the case of Pagula, she's third in the points race this season. You know, Amanda Nisimova's had a resurgent top 10 fringish short of year. Bernarda Perez has been right. Amazing. Ann Lee struggled with injuries, but we know how good she is. Claire Luz sort of established herself as a top 100 player. There's a lot of depth in American women's tennis as well. And if Sonia Kennan gets healthy too, I mean, look out for the American women who, again, have played really, really well at this 2022 U.S. Open. I think they have to be one of the winners on day five, given three more advanced to round number three. But with that said, let's run through the rest of the day's results and let's now get into some of the men's seeds. I mentioned obviously all the upsets that occurred. We have one more Richard Gasquet knocking out Miromir Kasmenovic. It was just vintage Gasquet. was thrown in forehand slice and just Kasmenovic was struggling mightily to create from the center of the court. And look for Miromir Kasmenovic, who clearly physically is able to hang uh, at an elite, Level on the ATP tour just can't generate as many unforced errors as he did on the day. And you look for Kasmanovich, who again, credit to Gasquet, who coaxed a lot of those errors and coaxed that impatience out of Kasmanovich. But, you know, it says 32 unforced errors. That's being extraordinarily generous. I think he was closer to the 50 count, and, you know, again, it just felt like he was always trailing on the scoreboard. And that's a credit to Gasquet, who, whenever he had the opportunity, moved forward to the net or went after the plus-one ball. 61 winners for Gasquet against 46 unforced errors, speaking to his mentality. He played a great match. The rest of the seeds advanced on the day, and they all advanced fairly cleanly. Now, Rafa struggled in set number one, and he said after the match, it was one of my worst opening sets not only of the year but that he's played in quite a while. It was really bad in a 26646261 win over Fabio Fognini. Now you look for Rafa, you know, 20 winners on the day, 37 unforced errors. I think 14 of those unforced errors came in set number 1 and Look, Fonini, 24 winners against 60 unforced errors. Rafa made the match physical, started just hitting the 75% ball. You know the Rafa patterns, cross, cross, down the line. You think you're playing to his backhand. He's going to hit that backhand up the line, elevated, forcing you to play to his forehand. Fonini was too impatient. He started pressing, started forcing the issue early in rallies, and he just wasn't able to come up with the good. So ultimately, Rafa, you know, two hours, 43 minutes on court, but he escaped with a fairly comfortable minus when he injured himself in that third set and drew blood with his racket, but injured, I say is too much, a little scrape. But look, Rafa didn't play well. Um, the second serve was floating. Fonini was able to attack it. He wins 53% of his second serve points. Rafa was out of rhythm in set number one. That said, he returned much better in sets two, three, and four. He does seem healthy enough physically where he's able to work his way into these matches. The question is, is there anyone in his draw who can make him pay for these slow starts? And, you know, next up, he's got Richard Gasquet. The answer to that question is no. Gasquet 17, uh, Owen 17 against Nadal in his career. Lefty, one handed backhand. Rafa feasts on those matchups. After that, it would be Tiafo or Schwartzman, Then Nori, Runa, Shapo, or Rublev. Shapo and Rublev are obviously interesting with their weapons. Shapo's already beaten Rafa, excuse me, earlier this year. The physicality of Nori. Putting that punch into Rafa in the quarterfinal round, how would he fare the rest of the event is a fascinating thought exercise, I suppose, for all of us, but I think Rafa's going to get to round number four very comfortably, and now he's in the second week, and we've seen all year long what happens when Rafa gets into the second week of a major, so good performance for Rafa, or fine performance for Rafa just early in this event. I thought Carlito was very good today, Alcaraz 2-1-5 over Correa, just again is finding his rhythm on these courts the serve the forehand their elite nori ho hummer 4 4 and 6 over jao sosa just did exactly what he needed to do the big win today was andre rublev who now i believe as advanced to at least round number three in, I want to say, eight consecutive majors or something crazy like that. Rublev, three, love, and four, his fourth win on the year over Wu Kwon. Kwon couldn't hurt him. Rublev found his rhythm on the serve, over 60% first serve percentage, which is always the big number for him. He looked good. Sinner handled the pace of Eubanks well. Straight set win there. Chilich third round at all three majors he played this year. Obviously he had to withdraw from Wimbledon, but he he rocked Ramos Vinolas. You know the other impressive seeds on the day. I thought Evans. Four sets over Duckworth doing his thing. Tiafo straights over Kubler. A lot of plus one tennis in that match, but Francis's serve and plus one forehand have turned into legitimate borderline elite weapons. Good four-set win for Musetti. Good four-set win for Shapovalov, who blinked in that second set, but was down a break early in set number one and managed to get that first set back and then played two of his better sets in three and four in a win over carbeas Banya. The weird one was Diego Schwartzman, who, you know... Ultimately wins 6 5 and 6 over Alexei Popperin. Popperin had a million chances. If he could just finish a little bit better at the net, he would have won this match over Diego Schwartzman. But credit to Diego, continue to ask the question ultimately. Again, Popperin wasn't able to come up with the good 6 5 and 6 Schwartzman advances. Runa also the walkover advancement over John Isner. Again, no five set matches in round number two. Of the 32 singles matches we saw played, only five went the distance. Something to note. Again, a A lot of good players still alive at the back half in New York. On the women's side, let's run through the rest of the day's results. And again, with all the seeds alive on the men's side, boys, the final, you know, again, it's going to be seed-on-seed crime on Saturday. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. Saturday's going to be brutal. You've got Michigan football kicking off. I know all of you are looking forward to that, or your college football team of choice, and then yeah, we've got a day full of exceptional tennis as well. Going to spend a lot of time on the bike on Saturday, I imagine, watching all of these various things get your multiple screens going. Of course, on the women's side, mentioned Sabalenka, three-set winner. You also had Belinda Bencic gets revenge for her Cincinnati losses. She earns a three-set come-from-behind victory over Serana Kirstea. Bencic is playing well, and I continue to think it's the best tennis of her career Still doesn't have the most wins in a single season, but right around the best win percentage. Her hold percentage is above her career average. Break percentage above her career average. And if you watch her play, she's just moving better than she has in the past. Good win for her over Kirsteia. How about Alize Cornet? First time in her career, she's made at least the third round of all four majors in a single season. She earns a three-set win over Katarina Sinyaková. She's just your litmus test player to get into the top 50. So consistent, so relentless physically. I'm happy she's going to continue to play because I think she's playing extraordinarily extraordinary tennis. And then, how about former world junior number one Clara Burel? I believe into the third round of a major for the first time in her career. Three set win for her over Ali van Uytvenk. Your other winners on the day. Sloan Stevenson play well, but Iga took it to her. 6-3, 6-2 win for the world number one. Iga's still not serving particularly well. The forehand's flying on her a bit, but she can just do so many other things to win. She looks like a world number one player in these early rounds with just how quickly and easily she separates herself from her opponents, even when she's not playing her best. Muguruza did a really good job of just knowing okay I can pick on the Linda Fruvertova forehand whenever I'd like and you know Fruvertova loses the first set 6-love was 5-1 uh 4-1 up excuse me in the second set actually had love 40 but Muguruza two backhand winners to the Fruvertova forehand wing to fight off a couple of the break points and ultimately Muguruza 5 straight games 6-love six 6-4 six first time she's won consecutive matches since February um a Garbine Muguruza title run would just be the perfect exclamation point to what has been a weird 2022 season. But again, Muguruza was disciplined. Her pace, her physicality overwhelmed the 17-year-old who, when she landed, the first serve could play some offense, but the forehand could be attacked. When she was aggressive with the backhand, though, I mean the backhand's ready to be in the top 100. Good win from Danielle Collins, 2-5. and five. She looks better with every set that she played. I thought your best seed on the day was Carolina Pliskova. Three and two over Marie Bouzkova, And I mean Pliskova was just excellent throughout the course of today's action. You look for Carolina Pliskova. She hits uh, 23 winners against 15 unforced errors, but 30 of 33 on her first serve points. She won 91% of those first serve points, was teeing off on the Buzkova second serve. And, you know, to break Buzkova, only three breaks for her in the match, to break her in set number one, and Pliskova goes unbroken in the match, but to break her in set number one, Pliskova, an on-the-run forehand cross-court pass, a backhand down-the-line pass. Again, Buzkova didn't have the weapons to hurt Pliskova, so... While Pliskova, may, her defensive skills may not be her calling card. If you give her time to play defense, she can actually play it well. And again, that she's heating up, it's a dangerous thing for the rest of the draw. Pliskova versus Bencic, one of my sneaky favorite matches of round number three in the women's singles draw. But again, good performance for Pliskova. Kvitova got the walkover over Kalanina. Uh, Azarenka. Pretty solid in a 2-3 and three win over Kostiuk, who just, whenever she tries to generate offense with her forehand, Kostiuk struggles a bit. Credit to Azarenka for continuing to pressure it. Niemeyer, Yuan, straight set winners. Then how about Jung Chin Wen? She was awesome. 6 and 6 win over Potapova. Potapova was excellent as well. If this is one of your sneaky, you know, fourth round quarterfinal rivalries, these two have to play each other 10 times over the next decade. Lock in, folks, because it's a great contrast of styles. Potapova is a top 50 athlete, so solid off both wings. Chinwen's just better. Like again, she can generate power forehand, backhand, serve. She's sneaky good as a mover as well and can play solid defense. I'm I'm all in on Junction when the 19-year-old Chinese uh, teenager because, boy, can she play in that match against Potapova again. It was the best match you didn't watch today because it was two unseated players and there were 32 matches. But if you're bored... Go watch that replay. It was a fun one. With that said, quickly because of course I already previewed day five over on our Great Shot Podcast Ace of the Day segment. But my favorite matches of the opening day of third round singles play on the women's side, I've got four for you. Golf Keys winner can win the title. Garcia and Durescu winner can win the title. Jabour versus Rogers. Rogers has the sort of power tennis to take time away from Jabour, disrupt her rhythm. I think that one goes three sets at least, and then how can you not be buckled in for any Serena match as she takes on Alia Tamjanovich. On the men's side, I've got six of, of the eight matches. I'll be locked in on Rude Paul, physicality at its finest, Berrettini-Murray. Can Murray pull off the Spectacular against a relatively big server? I mean, a big server, but it's a relatively simple game plan. Hatchinov Draper, how real is this Draper run? If he beats Hatchinov in straights, it's time to consider him a top 25 player. Wolf Kyrios, plus one tennis. Demon Hour, cranial booster, physicality. It's Rude Paul, light. And then Medvedev Wu because I'm a nerd. But, again, should be another extraordinary day of tennis. And, of course, we will be back here tomorrow to recap all of it, hopefully with our first guest of the week. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the editing <laughs> job he does day in, day out, making all of our Cracked Rackets content possible, whether it be this show, our Ace of the Day segment, where we preview all the action and so much more. Of course, a thank you to our friends at Tennis Point as well for their continued... And support and remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with that said for our extraordinary super producer daniel west of our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone